Hey, SNMA, it's student Dr. Isabella. Student Dr. Erica. And it's your boy, Dr. Alden White Coat Poppy and Rich and Doc BX, Bronx Neuro DO. We want to wish y'all a happy homecoming. Be safe. Enjoy the tailgates, bars, and events. Let's go. The views expressed on this podcast represent only those of the hosts and do not represent the views of the Student National Medical Association. Join the Black Men in Medicine Strategy Summit, sponsored by the Action Collaborative for Black Men in Medicine. This event will drive the development of national strategies and effective practices to increase the number of Black men in medicine. The two-day summit will be held at the AAMC headquarters in Washington, D.C. on October 20th and 21st, 2022. The Strategy Summit is, an, is open to all organizations and individuals who are invested in contributing to systemic solutions to increase the representation of Black men in medicine. Register at WAMC.org slash ACS Strategy Summit. You know what time it is? Drop that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SNMA Presents The Lounge. Whether you're in the student lounge, doctor's lounge, or lounging around at home, get ready to join SNMA for meaningful conversations on topics affecting minorities in medicine and groups that often sit at the margins of healthcare. I'm student doctor Isabella, and it is officially homecoming season. So, question of the day, uh, what is your favorite homecoming event and why? That's easy for me. It's Yard Fest. Um, so, Yard Fest, I think it's, I don't know if it's specific, I don't think it's specific to Howard. I think almost every HB, HBCU has like a variation of like a Yard Fest, but it's pretty much just like musical performances on the big communal space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a, pretty much a free concert. For Howard, it's like, I think it falls on the Friday of that weekend. So, usually it's like, from the afternoon to the evening, we don't know who the artists are, I mean, are right now at this point. They haven't dropped the lineup, but when that comes, just whoever's coming, I'm going to be there regardless. But that's definitely my favorite event because, like, everybody usually comes out to that. That's probably one of the biggest events. And it's just, it's, like, artists just coming up to your campus and performing. And you don't have to worry about buying a ticket. And that's kind of, like, something that you can't get just every day right it's like very specific Mm -hmm. to the homecoming weekend so that's always like my most memorable and enjoyable event for me what about you guys i would say like the tailgate just meeting people walking around connecting possibly finding your wife husband (laughs) your harem whatever the case may be (laughs) i think (laughs) i think that the main thing is like being able to Finally, be in person. I think it's definitely true. That's a fact. Like at the end of the day, we just been so accustomed to doing things virtually for the last two, three years, and now people could hug each other, see each other in a non-COVID environment. I hope and get some bottles, pop some bottles, get that barbecue, right? See who you got to see, and just interact in the love and the spirit of what Black accomplishment is. Hey everyone, it's student Dr. Erica Dingle, and so I'm gonna kind of steal Aldwins, but then I have my own. So no, like the tailgate is definitely a favorite 
of homecoming. Um, cause you know, it's people got chicken, fried fish. Fried. You see, yes, everybody is around and about. The libations are flowing in all sorts of ways. Um, but specifically at Hampton University's homecoming, my favorite event is now the, it's like a happy hour. Um, that occurs at multiple bars. It's almost like a bar crawl. Mm. And by the time 2 a.m. rolls around, it is just bliss. Um, yeah, that's that's my favorite part. But like overall, if I had to go to other homecomings, it would be the tailgate for sure. For sure, for sure. You guys haven't touched Howard yet. That's why you you guys didn't say Yard Fest. Now, once you experience Yard <laughs> Fest, all that's it's all it's all going in the trash. It's Yard Fest all the way. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't, be, so I feel like Yard Fest would be cool if it was artists that I listened to. I feel like mm-hmm. now, who mm-hmm. they gonna bring out? Unless they brought Genuine, then I would definitely enjoy myself because I get to see him dance <laughs> and do these crazy moves. <laughs> um, possibly even Diddy because he was out here looking type crazy yeah. on the stage the other night. But yeah, I think back in the day with good mm-hmm. artists, I would agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. I think That's they got to bring them all back. Like, I feel like we just, like, excluded all the HBCUs again. There was, like, a whole momentum, like, a year, two year, two years ago. Like, even uh, high school athletes were signing up to go to HBCUs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Luda, like, Diddy, they was all showing mad love. Now it's like, yeah. yo, where y'all at? Like, I just forgot yeah. about what the energy is like. We still need to uphold and maintain our HBCUs and the right energy. You know what I mean? They take right. them somewhere okay. else. Agreed. Shout out to all the schools that are celebrating homecoming, HBCU, PWI alike. Um, And in the interest of homecoming celebration, it's time to run the list. So for our preclinical students, running the patient list on the wards allows the team to address pressing matters of the day. And in this segment of the show, we'll be discussing some recent events in medicine and beyond affecting our communities and the populations we serve. So back to homecoming, Um, you guys, you know, have probably seen a lot of buzz around a new majorette team that has started and it's not at a HBCU um, or historical black college and university. And the history of the majorette, this is this is something that started at black colleges. So mm. majorettes are either baton twirlers whose performances often accompanied by dance movement or gymnastics. I think modern day majorettes, they just dance, right? We see them getting it in, doing uh, the eight counts, four counts, etc. And it's also a term that is used to describe a female drum major who would lead bands during parades and in some cases serve as a liaison between a band and its director. Mm. Um, prior to the 18th century, drum majors were affiliated with military groups, uh, but specifically these majorette dance lines are most closely associated with HBCUs in the Southern United States and are often partnered with universities, marching bands. Um, so the issue <laughs> at hand is there's a new majorette squad known as the Cardinal Divas at the University of Southern California, PWI. Um, And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding this newly found dance group um, for a number of reasons. 
you know, it seems to be a HBCU predominated uh, activity, uh, but who's to say that, you know, you can't be at a PWI and have a Black experience. So Mm -hmm. our discussion right now is going to center around your thoughts and the backlash that they're getting. I know where I stand, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, they didn't. They don't want me to speak on it. <laughs> we do, we do. Because <laughs> I'm just gonna upset yeah. a lot of people. Um, well, you know, it's it's not. It's kind of not in people's favor if you go to a PWI to have three HBCU grads on this podcast. Um, That's a fact. This. Just gonna keep it real <laughs> don't, with don't you. Don't say that. <laughs> don't, don't say that. I just. Right? I don't think it's gonna help. The bias is just gonna be there. But I will say on my end, I don't understand what's going on here in terms of like this majorette thing at a PETA. I mean, I, you know, it's one thing to want to create a safe space for Black people at schools. Like I'm always gonna be a proponent of that. But it's another thing to like do this thing where we're taking something that kind of is centered around HBCU culture and just dropping it like anywhere and just then saying, oh, well, we're creating a safe space. Like there's other ways that you could still create a safe space without calling it something that is specific to HBCU culture. So like you want to make a new club called the Cardinal Divas or whatever they call it. That's fine. (laughs) But to like call it a majorette dance line, it's like it's giving it's a stretch because it's not it's not like native to this the institution. So like how can you just call mm-hmm. it something that's not native? You know, like I don't know. It's feeling forced to me. Like I think if you want to have like a dance type of group at the school that is like made by black women and kind of has a similar like sound to what we do at HBCUs, that's fine. But then like to call it what that is and then it's not at HBCU, I just can't vibe with that. Like I can't I just don't understand it. But, you know, if you guys have different opinions, I'm here. (laughs) But that's just kind of where I stand on the situation. (laughs) Yeah, I know how I feel. Shout out to the Black Queens at the end of the day. Like, that's, I really, like, love the energy they're bringing. And unapologetically being in a space where people feel threatened. They feel intimidated by that Black power, that melanin in their skin, because it's so different. It's so not used to what they're accustomed to. And that confidence, that courageousness, like I really love and appreciate that. And I feel like we need to be in all of these spaces so that people can learn to appreciate what we bring to the table as a black community. We are already in, you know what I'm saying, so many different shapes and forms around the country in terms of hip hop, the culture. People want to be like us. They want to look like us. They want to sound like us. They want to feel like us. They want to walk like us. So of course they're going to talk about it. Of course they're going to be the talk of the town. You know what I'm saying? So we got to hand it down to these wonderful ladies. And I think that this is going to usher in the spirit of what it's like to be a black woman or or majorette, actually, um, in different components around the country. I feel like we got to, you know, support them in these instances because so many people, again, are trying to antagonize them and make make them feel like they don't deserve to do that. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's I love the dangerousness that they bring into this, like. We know what it is, right? People need to be aware that we show up and we show out, especially in these spaces where you're talking about football. We're talking about like thousands of people that are not of color and they standing up and people are learning to value that what we say, what we preach is important because it's not just about the individuals, about what we can bring to the game and bring to this table. And these women, they're explicitly showing we don't care what people feel, how they feel. 
at the end of the day, you're going to get this energy, you know? Right. So shout out to them. How do you feel about that, Erica? So I can, I completely get where Iz is coming from because, you know, black college graduates, we're so protective, right, of our personal experiences at HBCUs. Mm -hmm. And honestly, let's call a spade a spade. HBCUs played a crucial role in educating black Americans when PWIs, they wouldn't admit us, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there is a necessary, um, it's it's necessary to protect that so that it never becomes diluted. Mm -hmm. Like it means... Going to a HBCU, you talk to anybody that went to one and everyone's experience is just, you know, like you, you get, you learn about your self-worth, right? Um, and that's not to say that you won't add a PWI. Maybe we take it to the next level because we drank the Kool-Aid, but whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I question how judgmental I want to be f- for this young lady wanting to start a group at a PWI because who's to say that she had the funding to attend an HBCU, you know, she could be, we don't, I don't know where they're from, but um, sometimes HBCUs right now, like are upwards of $40,000 tuition a year. And who's to say that, you know, maybe she was inspired by Beyonce's homecoming performance and wanted to be a part of something like that and wanted to express her creativity in that manner. Like, Am I one to say you can't do that because you can't afford to go to a school that actually affords these opportunities? Mm. And then I'll speak as a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. You know, we have sororities and fraternities at PWIs. So should it, in the future, should my daughter or son not be allowed to become a member of whatever organization if they're at a PWI that doesn't have this organization, you know, it's just because they want the experience, they want the brotherhood or the sisterhood It's it's really, it's, it's controversial. And even on, I, I forget, I know they were on the Jennifer Hudson show, mm-hmm. um, but we have a quote, I believe from CBS news where one of the members said, we did get a lot of backlash and controversy about bringing HBCU culture to a PWI Robinson said. Um, mm-hmm. So But I believe as black students, we deserve a space to feel comfortable and to bring our culture. And it's like, yeah, who am I to say that they can't experience that outside of being at an HBCU? Um, And as you said it, like maybe if they named it something different, like a dance team versus the majorettes, it Mm -hmm. probably would have been more palatable. Right. Um, But you know, it is what it is. And I, they looked good. They weren't out here looking crazy. <laughs> at least they not swag serving, surfing at, you know, a PWI or twerking, looking crazy. Jesus. You know, like <laughs> at least what? they look like something. Uh, you said right. or twerking. Yeah, right. like, you know, like what? <laughs> they would probably get picked by some of the best bands. Um, That's a fact. Hey, you know, so, Erica, you made a good point, right? In terms of like comparing being a member of a sorority a black letter uh sorority and it being at other pwis i think that's slightly different right because the intention of the founders was actually to expand outside of like wherever it was founded right like to create chapters of other schools Mm -hmm. versus it's like who's the one who created the majorette like hbcu majorette dance lines to give that like 
here's the green light to expand past HBCUs. Like, say if that was the case, like, oh, yeah, this is something with the intention of, like, all schools having this for all Black students, I'd be more amenable to that. But it's the fact that it's, like, it's just one isolated or a couple isolated people who said, let's just do this thing and then call it the name of, you know, that's kind of what's not really rubbing me right. But I think kind of back to what I had said before, if they had called it, if it was like a a group that they made or like a club or something that's like more specific to their own idea versus like using a name that's not really representative of the the original intention, that's kind of what, you know, like had me, uh, I don't know. But I do see your point. And I do agree that like, I'm I'm always for black women or black people trying to create spaces for themselves wherever they can. Is is a name as much as it is important, the action they did though? Like, I feel like we can kind of separate that and tease that out. Like, okay, the name is what it is, but what the move that she's creating is fundamentally Mm. something different. And again, she was unapologetic. She was unafraid. And a lot of people be inspired by that because there's so many black individuals that are PWIs that feel like constrained. They feel like they got to act a certain way or move a certain way and feel like they are not entitled and empowered by their blackness because people will look at them differently or people will feel like, oh, you threaten again, threatening the status quo. But mm-hmm. I think our duty is to be confident and wherever we walk, because people will recognize us because in those spaces, we are already limited as is. So why not take advantage of that opportunity to catapult us uh, ourselves to the next level of excellence? And that's what she did. And I think that all of us should be inspired by that. You know, even for myself, like I'd be in the hospital and I feel like I'd be walking the hospital. Honestly, I'd be with my hoodie in the hospital. Even today, one of my senior residents was like, yo, one of the attendants was like, you wearing your hoodie is unprofessional, but it's because they intimidated. I'm professional. I see all my patients. I put the work in. Mm. But when you're walking in a different light, people feel a different type of way about you because they don't understand and what they can't understand, they hate. But we always show love. Always. Yeah, Always I see all sides sure. of the coin. I think it is about the name, but you know what, Alden, I respect your opinion. We can <laughs> keep it pushing to time. the next topic. <laughs> Take time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think on that note, though, there's been other things happening um, that uh, at other HBCUs kind of keeping with that same light of creating spaces and doing new things to continue to push forward black people and getting into, you know, um, professions and careers that we typically weren't thought of in mind when they were made. So Morgan state being one school who has actually started, um, the kind of green plan or the green light of trying to make a green, a medical school. So I think that's amazing because there's only been about three medical schools, Charles drew Morehouse and Meharry's. So, Oh wait, Charles drew, Morehouse, wow. Harry, Harry, and then Howard. 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 I'm like, how am I going to forget my own school? Sorry, y'all. So yeah, four schools. <laughs> <Very> um, <useless. laughs> four schools. Uh, but now, and it's actually supposed to be a DO school. So this is more yes. Aldwin's territory Yay. of like osteopathic medicine. So I think that's actually really good. Um, For so sure. also kind of diversifying yeah. the people who are doctors and the the titles that we hold, MD versus DO, like does it really matter? And Doesn't so now matter. kind of putting that... Um, uh, in HBCUs, I think is going to be like a great initiative. So I'm super excited about that. I love it. 
And it's right. going to help a lot because less than 2% of the uh, DO medical students are blacks, you know, and uh, the diversity is certainly needed. And then when we talk about diversity efforts and, you know, to be on, you know, realistic and be honest with y'all, most of the DO schools don't even have a DEI office. I think it's like 50 to 60% of them. But actually on the MD wow. side, every MD school is mandated in the United States to have a DEI office. So I think this is mm. definitely going to change the game and usher in another generation of physicians of color and predominantly that are willing to serve in their community and feel entitled like they can do more. And especially the fact of the matter is the location that they're going to be in Maryland, too, is really key and important, you know, Um and I, and I hope that we start more black DO schools and I really hope that we start more, you know, HBCUs overall. I think there's a need for that. Right. We closed down. There's they were closed down in 1910, you know, four or five HBCU med schools, which have made 50,000 more of us. So we're going to close that gap. I love it. Yeah, I think this will definitely help our communities Um because there's so much that our communities suffer from with health disparities mm -hmm. and the lack of us, <laughs> just the lack of us in medicine. And we already know, you know, you're happier when you're typically happier when you're a person of color going to a practitioner that's right. a person of color. And especially with a sensitive topic such as breast cancer, you know, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's, you know, heavily celebrated across the globe. Um, this month, rather, is heavily celebrated across the globe. Um, and globally, breast cancer is the most frequently diagnosed cancer and leading cause of cancer um, death in women. In the U.S. alone, breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed and second leading cause of death. Uh, cancer death in women. And some stats for you, the American Cancer Society uh, 2000, sorry, 2022 estimates for breast cancer in the United States. These numbers are ridiculous. Um, 287,850 new cases of invasive breast cancer, um, 51,400 new cases of ductal carcinoma in situ, which is the presence of abnormal cells in a milk duct, that has not yet spread beyond the duct, and approximately 43,250 women will die of breast cancer. Um, it's just, uh, until, I feel like until you are faced with it or like there's somebody that's uh, adjacent to you, it doesn't really kind of hit. Like these stats hit because I have, and we're in our 30s. I, like, I've known at least five people, five women in their 30s that have been diagnosed over mm -hmm. the last five years. Um and that's just who I know. Like I know other people yeah. that have said it and even some younger. So we definitely want you all to take preventative measures, um, breast self, self exams. Um, mm -hmm. What else? Other ones that you guys want to list? I think uh, even especially when we talk about black women who they are devastated by breast cancer in terms of the mortality rate because mm -hmm. the education awareness is not there. And understand, you know, of course, there's the medical, you know, aspect, the medical history that preludes us. And oftentimes people avoid physicians, but your health is your wealth at the end of the day. And oftentimes I think that we got to bring into the discussion why is it important for you to be aware of your own body and why is it important to communicate what's going on with your body, with your primary right. care provider, and then mm -hmm. also have a primary care provider that you see 
diligently every year so that you have access to the appropriate resources, right? Understanding when to get mammograms, understanding mm-hmm. like, I mean, like how to share that knowledge and understand that information could lead to longevity of life or it could actually deter you from living that longevity. And I've seen even in my four months in residency, there have been a couple uh, invasive breast cancers, unfortunately, that have affected women of color. And the stories you see, how it goes on, like they saw their physician too late, unfortunately, you know, and nothing to say against those particular individuals. But I think that having that accessibility and that awareness and having that knowledge put out there and sharing that and disseminating that so that we can change those disparities is really key. Yeah, I did. Um, when I was on my surgery rotation, I did a breast can- uh, breast surgery elective for two weeks. So saw a mm. lot of women, met a lot of women. Yeah. yeah who had breast cancer. Um, wow. I mean, Sadly, though, most of the patients were actually not black women. But the funny thing is that more black women die from breast cancer than white women. But it's just because of screening, you know, screening disparities. You know, white women know, oh, we have to get the mammogram at this point in time and, you know, see your physician at this point in time. And a lot of time, black women, they're not informed at that same rate. And so, but then they still get it, even get it at higher rates, but they're seen too late. So it it is something that's... um, very uh, devastating, especially in the black community. So I think spreading awareness of this is very key. Even one of our own uh, previous podcast members, Ade, has like contributed to this plight. She is like a wear figs um, ambassador, and she did like a little photo shoot wearing the wear figs uh, scrubs and like kind of did like the shoot promoting breast cancer awareness. It was really um, inspiring to kind of see a black woman a part of that because I think mm-hmm. that's important um, because Absolutely. like I said, we're the ones who actually suffer more in this disease. So I think that was a really good good thing to see. Yeah, she actually shared a quote um, on her, I believe, believe it was her Instagram. Mm-hmm. I've seen many black women disproportionately impacted by breast cancer, including my aunt. Although there have been strides in management and treatment, more work needs to be done. So shout out to you, Dr. Ade. And shout out to her. Shout out to the yes, queen. Yes, ladies, go. Listen, just speak to your doctor. The minute you feel a lump, tell your doctor. You can right. get an ultrasound done ASAP. Um, if you notice any new lumps, marks, or bruises on your breasts, it's, you, know, you need to know when it's time to start getting mammograms and other screenings according to your history. So with Aldwin and Isabella said, you got to stay proactive and on top of your health for sure. Yep. That's a Fendi fact. Yeah. So kind of moving along with our run the list though, I think it's nice that we're talking about black women and that we're talking kind of about bringing more awareness to uh, these things that we suffer from these things that we continuously try to fight against. Uh, one person being a woman who continues to fight in her own daily life, Katanji Brown Jackson, who was um, first black woman sworn into the Supreme Court. She had to go through a lot of barriers herself in her career. Um, and she actually became, she well, she already got sworn in in June uh, 30th, 2022, but she had her investiture ceremony on September 30th. Mm-hmm. And it was attended by President Biden, Vice President Harris, and just other important people in the government, um, including the retired Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, whom she actually once worked for as a law clerk. So I, I think, that. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what do you guys think? How does it feel to finally have our first duly installed and celebrated Black woman Supreme Court Justice? 
It feels a little surreal still. Um, like, it, you know, on one hand, America seems so progressive, but then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like we have a black VP. And I feel like we're all just kind of sitting there staring, waiting for something mm-hmm. good, to, good to happen. Like I don't know, it's it. It feels like yes, change change has come, but then I just don't want to be sitting back waiting. Um, hopefully, change will really come. You know, with mm-hmm. two black women in these prominent positions. But mm-hmm. I'm happy for, and I think it's inspiring the next generations of women in law and order yeah i mean i can't even say much different like i'm really proud and encouraged uh it's taken so long you know uh, almost 200 years for this to happen mm-hmm. and uh our ancestors are just you know praising in their grave and wherever they at and uh this is a true <laughs> representation of what excellence means and this is only the beginning uh when we are in these spaces of political power, political influence, this only helps us mm-hmm. because uh, it, the representation matters. Having that seat at that table, having someone that could advocate from the perspective of what we experience, especially in the country that was built uh, from black and brown bodies. On our backs. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. So uh, I think that uh, this is going to bring forth a, a level of unprecedented uh, successfulness in, in, in the Supreme Court and then also in, in politics overall. So I'm really happy to see that. Yeah. Let's stay on the topic of black women winning, shall we? I love it, man. Keep it, <laughs> keep it coming. Black women. Well, and that's, that's the end of it. <laughs> winning or, or what do you well, mean, winning or losing? Uh, well, I was gonna, hold on. Let's see for a second. Let's just <laughs> wait. Hold on. It's, Thank God you, know, you have Erica on your side, Alba, because if you did it, <laughs> I think she don't always be on my side. She neutral. She, I am a wonderful you, neutral you are. I love it. So, you know, I I hear where you're coming from and I have my thoughts about what I'm about to talk about. But OK, Lizzo, <laughs> I think Lizzo wins overall for a number of reasons. But um, Lizzo was the first person to play the crystal flute from Congress. So during a performance, I, you know, I don't want to focus on the performance so much because she twerked with the flute. Can't make and it I, up. And I was not proud of that. But <laughs> Lizzo, Lizzo during a performance, um, pop star, pop superstar, she played a 200-year-old crystal flute that once belonged to President James Madison. She did twerk while doing this. Let's just strike that from the record. Uh, but <laughs> she did attend the <laughs> Library of Congress, <laughs> and she played a wonderful, wonderfully beautiful song. And mm-hmm. to see that, I was like, all right, Lizzo. The twerking with the flute, you know, it's so... You, get, you don't get a pass, really, but... <laughs> I can forget about that because I see how beautifully you played the flute in the Library of Congress, and she seemed very, very happy about it. Um, Some celebrated this as, you know, proud Black woman, classically Mm -hmm. trained flutist, um, and once playing a flute once owned by former president and slave owner, but others derided it as a degradation of history. So... I'm eager. What y'all think? 
Mm. Yeah, let me go first because Alwyn's about to say some out of pocket. <laughs> You're about to say something so out of pocket. I'm looking at your face like this man is gonna violate Lizzo. So let me just let me just <laughs> let me let me set the scene and make it a bit positive for her. Um, so I I support Lizzo. I think you know what she represents is actually overall, like you were saying, Erica, a positive thing. Like this is a black mm-hmm. woman a plus size black woman who has created a space for herself in the industry. I think that's really important. Like I'm always going to support that. Um, in terms of the twerking. Yes, I agree. That's not, I don't think that was a good choice on her end. Um, but I can understand if she did it to kind of stay true to herself and not feel like she had to conform to do this Mm -hmm. big historical thing. Okay. Like I can look at it from that perspective. Would I have done that? No, just because (laughs) I feel like the stakes are kind of high, you know, like this is the, ex-presidents like flu and you know the (laughs) it's just a lot going on and i feel like people already have such like narrow mindsets when it comes to plus size black women so like i feel like she maybe added too much fire to the flame but you know overall i i don't think it's something that we should call a degradation of history that might be a little bit extreme like i wouldn't take it there so i think she was in the position to do it because she's a classically trained flutist. Like that's her Mm -hmm. field that like, that's what she does. So I'm glad they chose her. And I think like overall, yeah, like, yeah, maybe there was poor form in how she did it, but I don't think we need to take it like to the extent of this is embarrassing history. Like, I don't know. History is already an embarrassment in itself when it, like when we talk about how America was built. So like they don't have much ground to play with, with that anyway. So that's kind of where I stand in that matter. Okay, Alden, you could say yeah. whatever your opinion is. You <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to say it anyway. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a degradation of their history, not my history. And when we talk mm-hmm. about Lizzo, one of, one, of the, one of the things that really annoyed me about this, and y'all know how I feel about slavery, is the fact that this flute was owned by a former slave master. That nasty... Man, put his mouth all on that and had all, all these, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, his essence, his spirit is on that flute. And the fact that you're just smiling, feeling good energy about holding that, like, that ill will, the, the ill spirit of that individual, I don't even care, like, if he was a president or not. Like, the fact of the matter is, like, I would nowhere near touch that flute because the representation of that is white supremacy. It mm-hmm. is institutional racism. It is stereotype threat. It is the perpetuation of why our black communities do not continue to excel in the way that they need to. And so I think it was a disgrace for her to really honestly accept that. And then also, I mean, that's that's just really how I feel. You know what I'm saying? I I feel like she could have utilized that platform to say, hey, here is the flute of such and such. Right. This is what this means to me. And this is how y'all should take it. And it should be an educational centerpiece to say this is where we were at 200 years ago. And this is what this flute embodies. But this is Mm. where we are now. And this is what I embody. And this is what I want to feel like I need to talk to you about and feel real about (laughs) and communicate. So for me, at the end of the day, like that's one of the main things. And also, like, I understand. I feel like if she wanted to twerk, do you think, ma? Do you think? (laughs) Of course. No, no, but I'm just saying, like, you're not serious. But no, he is. I'm just just, like, like, serious. No, no, no. Like, (laughs) live your life. But I think that there's certain moments and certain situations that you got to capitalize. And I feel like she didn't really capitalize on that. She, again, perpetuated that stereotype of what black people need to do when they get the the camera on them. 
Twerk, twerk, twerk. Use your words. Don't use those actions. <laughs> use your words to captivate the audience, bro. Like, that is such an important, <laughs> special moment that we just took a huge L on at the end of the yeah. day, in my personal opinion. That's, and yes, yeah, black I positivity like and all that good stuff, I understand that, you know, but we got to do totally this agree. the right way. You know, on totally the, it's not a, if it was our platform, then I, I guess, it's, but it's not a platform that you, you could utilize like that. There's consequences that come with that action. And that's why today when people see a black woman, they objectify her or look at her like, oh, she's going to twerk. She's going to be dancing. She's going to be doing splits and this and that. <laughs> Versus seeing her like in the light, like, oh, she a doctor. She valid. And, you know what I'm saying? They don't see it that way because of those actions. I you know actually I mean? want to know. Like, well, first, so in terms of degradation of history, I want to be clear because you said something, Alvin, that kind of made me think of it. Yeah. They degraded you know, it, they feel like it's a degradation of their history and it's not your history. Mm. So the, these remarks came from uh, more so white conservatives who were mm -hmm. big mad. Okay. Um, right. But aside from that, I want to know, I have a feeling Lizzo did not reach out to them and say, Hey, let me play y'all's flute. <laughs> I feel like there's something coming in the, in the pipeline. Mm. Um, and maybe, I don't know maybe they needed some publicity mm. that that's what i'm thinking i actually um, even had a counterpoint too actually to aldwin with your statement about like yeah. the fact that he's an ex-slave and she shouldn't have put her mouth on the flute i think that's even more of a reason why she should have put her mouth on the flute i think that's even yeah <laughs> no like ex-slave owner you should do that because who cares you are going like, directly like, to what he wants no but Direct. literally that means that like Direct. you don't have a hold you don't have a hold on a black woman and what she can do like i can play your flute despite the nonsense that you did like i feel like it's almost like saying a big you know what to the person in the grave you know Mm. I didn't say the word because this is a podcast and we are G-rated, but right. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? So I personally think that was even more of a reason why she should have played that flute. But I do understand your perspective as well, you know. But I think the um, times the times have changed. Like, if it was like in the 1850s, 1840s, yeah, I think it would be a significant monumental moment, of course. But now it's like anybody could do that. What does that action truly mean to me? It really doesn't mean anything to me. Because again, it's their history. History is written by the victors, not mm -hmm. by the truth seekers. Okay, dropping this knowledge, history, <laughs> truth seekers. But, but I feel like, you know, switching points, switching the game plan, like, instead of talking about Lizzo, we got this supreme <laughs> being on that, oh. Rihanna. <laughs> You just what? said you just said let's put a, a skirt on Lizzo and go to the real person of interest. I feel I don't know how I feel about the way you transitioned that. The Beijing, the Beijing queen. I, well, I, just I wish y'all could it. see my face right now. <laughs> That's that's just how I feel. You keep it one hundred, you know, keep it one stack, you know. That's too funny. But we know who the supreme being is, the Beijing queen, Rihanna. <laughs> How y'all feel like she's about to take the stage at the Super Bowl 2023? And it's been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. The last major performance. We've been waiting for this so long. We're waiting for albums. We're waiting for a performance. We're waiting for her to go to concert. Mm -hmm. And the last time she did this was uh, when she performed Wild Wild Thoughts. 
Come on, join me. Hey. Wow. No. wow. Hey. Well, not with you. <laughs> she she got the vocals. Everyone started singing. I said, let me do my own little, you know, my own little uh, warm up on the on the mic. But yeah. Mm-hmm. You're nervous, straight hitting. <laughs> I, mean, I, I could dig it. I can't. <laughs> but you know what's crazy? She was offered a chance to perform at the halftime show, but turned it down, allegedly. To support Colin Kaepernick, how do you think about this like apparent reversal? What's going on with that? I Not think. She, oh, sorry, oh no, go, go no. Okay, no, no. Actually, Erica, I've, I've, yeah, start this one off for us. Go okay. ahead. Please. Well, I feel like Jay Z <laughs> is very involved with the NFL at this point in terms of the halftime shows, and I just feel like since his involvement. We're going to see a lot of halftime shows with black folk moving forward. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. Um, You know, that'll be the probably the only part that I I watch. Sorry to say. But Mm -hmm. I think she'll put on a great show. Um, But yeah, I, I, I really do appreciate. I don't I can't speak to the role that he's playing, but I know Jay Z is heavily involved in that. Like we saw last year's halftime show had. All of the uh, L.A. artists from back in the day, mm-hmm. Dr. Dre, mm-hmm. we had Eminem, we had Mary J. Blige. Like, it was a movie. Yeah. That's um, a fight. So, 50. for, yeah, 50 Cent, it was, a, like, for what it's worth, I, you know, I think it's cool. that With the Colin Kaepernick thing, like, we know what, listen, the NFL going NFL, just like, white people going white people like mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't expect much else from them at this point um and if if the best that they can do is provide us with a good halftime show then okay i guess i know that's not the best response but that's how i feel yeah and i think like the fact that rihanna she knows she's just been away for so long at this point like i think this is just her maybe going back to something that I think she's always had a love for, but she just had to take a break. She's been doing her little businesses. She's been doing Fenty Beauty, Fenty Skin. I haven't seen Fenty. Right, exactly. (laughs) Like literally having a whole child. Like she's just been doing a lot of different things. So I think like maybe this is just her going back to something that she's like used to and and has a love for. Um, And of course her her change in heart, Mm. like time has passed we've everyone has knelt down everyone has said their piece are we going to be doing that for years on end like at some point we have to continue to move forward we've said our our part like let's find other ways that we can still put ourselves out there and be a part of the culture without having to like hold ourselves back because of ignorance from white people like we can't just is she going to not do what she loves because of that i don't really feel like that's like a good excuse she already said no at the time when it was very prevalent when there was right. things mm-hmm. to be said now is 2020 it's going to be 2023 she has mm-hmm. uh, she's probably in a, in a different place where she actually wants to be a part of that and i think it's fine to change your mind right. so yeah. you think she's going to return to music after this though or do you like i i mean i know my thoughts i think yeah. i think she is probably already returning to music and we just don't know it yet um mm. yeah. I would, I don't know if she would drop a new song at the Super Bowl, maybe before, so we could rock to it and actually enjoy her performing it. Um, Yeah. I feel like it's a low chance of that happening. I think, I think she's done. (laughs) Like, I'm just keeping it real. I think she's done. Yeah. Like, I feel like we keep going back and forth about this whole, is she dropping? She's, 
I think she's done. Once you're a musician, you always a musician. How many times you've heard someone be like, I'm retiring. Like today I saw Styles P is retiring from doing solo rap and is going to only be doing music with the locks. I'm like, I know damn well you're going to be doing your own joint too. Like everybody ends up returning and coming back. It may not be at the, in the time period that all the audience wants them to come back. And like she didn't drop an album in Mad Long, but she will drop an album. Same thing with Beyonce. She took years and years to drop her last album, right? Like people, they love the game. That's why they became part of musician. Like it, it's just like how medicine is for many people, not like me, because I changed my mind about it. But just like people are passionate <laughs> about that, you know what I'm saying? And you get away from the game, you always want to come back. The same thing comes with music like people they may take a break like you said she's taking care of her family you know she's doing her thing with asap mob and all that but she still feels connected to the point where she's going to perform this show and who i feel like she might drop something that would be the perfect time that's when we see all these commercials of movies and different like you know like you know technology coming out when the super bowl drops so i think that would be like the greatest marketing move ever honestly mm. if she ever did that agreed yeah, it's possible. I just, I think she's done. But, you know, you do, you have a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of music, though, you know, Rihanna, clearly, she's always going to have a place in the game. But some people, they their time is up for real, for real. And I think the baby, I think his time is up. He <laughs> has had a lot of things going on for him. Um, recently... <laughs> this concept of him being blackballed um so according to the rapper himself he said they blatantly or not sorry not the baby but meek mill actually said that they blatantly blackballing the baby not my business but i'm an observer in response to projections of the sales of his newest album baby on baby 2 which only sold <laughs> <laughs> sorry his album is called baby on baby 2 that's Listen, probably why that's <laughs> why it sold 1600 500 units in the first week right like what so (sighs) i you know i think the question is is he being blackballed i would like to ask you guys that i think he is but i want to get you guys' perspective on you know everything that's been going on with him and what where you guys think he stands right now in the industry people they just not rocking with his music you know like people have the opportunity to stream your music if you put it out in a way that it people cherish and they adhere to, they going to listen, they going to share with their homies, their sisters, their fathers, whatever the case may be. And I feel like people feel like they direction, the direction of his music is just stagnant. Like he, there's no evolution with what he got going on. And then even with his recent show, I think it was in Charlotte or something like that. They even like break, like they wasn't even close to breaking even like, Barely anybody wanted to show up. They had to cancel the show. I think they had like 500 people like buy a ticket for, I don't know, like 10, 15,000. That was, that's supposed to like be real with it. So I feel like the baby, he got to go back to the drawing board and really realize like who (laughs) was the population that you're working with. He don't really, I feel like musically, he's just in one position. And then also like the social, the media stuff, him getting to fights, always being like, like mad negative, always doing like crazy stuff with his baby mama. Like, your audience is not gonna cater to that. You know what I mean? Like, you're not like YG yeah. or you're not like these gangster rappers that got like a select group of people that rock mm-hmm. with your joint. 
You mm-hmm. got a lot of women, you got a lot of people that like really support a certain style, a certain thought and mind frame. And when you go against that grain, grain, that's going to hurt you. You know what I mean? As we see also with Tory Lanez as well. So mm-hmm. you got to really move and navigate towards your audience. And I think that he's failed to do that and appreciate the importance of being realistic with what you want to accomplish. I feel like it's that movie 21 Jump Street, um, like the remake. Y'all remember when they went back to school, if you've seen it, and like the popular <laughs> kids were now like not cool and the nerds were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he's trying to be or he's this person in a space where you have to be nice. Like mm-hmm. you have to be likable right. um, to maintain your fan base. Like you can't be out here disrespecting women like you said Aldwin getting into altercations making derogatory comments directed to a huge community the mm-hmm. HIV community during the mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. at one of the biggest concerts rolling out loud uh, sorry mm-hmm. rolling loud Miami you know like there's yeah. you literally just cannot do that anymore it's not right. cool to be a bully um so he's go back to the drawing board with your name fam the baby like grow up <laughs> right levels right it's not working no seriously um yeah i think anyway i never i was never a baby fan so i don't have nothing to say in defense of him good Mm -hmm. luck sir (laughs) that's all i can say to him um but another person i really want to talk about and i think it's a nice transition from the baby because she actually is uh someone who's kind of very reminiscent i think in childhood type of acting if you've like watched iCarly or if you just like watch nickelodeon growing up uh jeanette mccurdy she recently came out with a book um kind of detailing a lot of things she went through as a child actor um a lot of tell all things but i think the most specific thing was about the relationship with her mom which was very very just like negative toxic in so many ways um pretty much she had to go through a lot of therapy um after her mom's death And through those sessions, she actually was able to kind of confront all of the abuse that she experienced from her mom during her childhood. And the funny thing is that, you know, I never knew she was somebody who never wanted to actually be an actress. It was literally the mom's dream for her. And she did it because the mom like said, hey, like, do you want to do acting? Like, this is something I wanted to do. I kind of placed it on her. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just did a lot of other shady things like performing vaginal exams on her to check for cancer and breasts. Like, very weird things. And she actually, a way to bridge this kind of to the Black community because, I mean, clearly Jeanette McCurdy is not Black, but she did do an interview with the Red Table Talk. So she spoke Mm -hmm. with Jada and granny and um willow and all of them and kind of t- talked about this experience and it was just a- <laughs> I'm I'm she's Br- she- <laughs> oh, no. i My think she's gam gam but she yeah, called yeah, her granny <laughs> listen to me that's wow. granny if she wants to go by gabby but she's gabby and grammy funny. whatever whatever you guys want to call her but <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of nice to talk about because i feel like especially in the black community you don't really talk about like your parents like in that way like oh my parents abused me it's kind of like a sensitive topic to talk about family abuse and stuff like that because a lot of things just kind of stays hidden and kind of stays within the family and you know it was a good thing to have somebody come to the table kind of speak about well sometimes you have parents who have like been a big aspect of the reason why you are traumatized to this Mm -hmm. day and having to rebuild from that so i think it's really it, it was a nice um it was a good idea for jada to decide to bring her on but i i think this is good questions to ask as a follow-up like what do you guys think in terms of anyone you guys know in your lives who has complicated relationship with their parents um 
like and also in terms of grief and it by being such a complicated process have you guys ever experienced grief or more the loss of somebody who actually negatively impacted your life so there's two questions to kind of sit on like what do you guys think about about mm. those um to the first question knowing of any or meeting someone in with complicated relationships with their parents um mm-hmm. i'm one of them yeah mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um yeah I, I don't need to go into detail for the interest of time but right. yes um mm-hmm. to your point i think that we don't have these discussions a whole lot i mean i have a amazing friend group and group of vaults where i can kind of bounce stuff off of them mm-hmm. but even even having up to you know both of my parents in my life other friends having both of their parents in their life they won't get it because they don't live my story Mm. um but i think what helps me deal with complications in parental relationships is knowing that everyone or believing that everyone is doing the best that they can most of the time Mm. i don't know what happened to and it's my my dad and I we kind of go back and forth we love each other but we just you know mm-hmm. sometimes we clash um but I don't know what his history was you know growing up that dictates how we are now right and I think it just you got to give people grace so I'm happy that Jeanette um went to therapy it's sad that it happened after her mother's passing like you have to almost exonerate them in their death um, yeah. as opposed to being able to do it while they're alive. Right. Um, but that, it really does help when you like see it through that lens, like, yo, I really don't know what is making them be this person. Mm. Yes. I might be in therapy as a result of it, but you know, let me give them grace because I, I, there's no way I could possibly know mm. what influenced them to be this way towards me. I think we see it a lot with, you know, at, we're in medicine, Parents yeah. put these standards on you. I don't know where your desires to become doctors came from, but I'll, I'd <laughs> say s- probably 60% of med students are like, my parents wanted me to become a doctor, whether mm-hmm. they were doctors. And that's something, a burden that we have to carry, similar to Jeanette. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's necessary to sit with yourself and... Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent, but I think it's necessary to sit with yourself, go to therapy and really, you know, have some grace. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a great response. And in terms of like the question about grief, um, yeah, like, I think that's funny. Like you think about people who've died and whether they've negatively impact, like people act like when someone dies, it has Mm -hmm. to be a positive thing. But just the other day you guys were dancing on the grave of queen elizabeth so it has me wondering <laughs> like where oh my god <laughs> what's the line yes ma'am. do we really grieve everybody that's the thing <laughs> so, oh jesus so i think like it's just also realizing that grief is not only limited to people that you respect and i think it took a lot of grace for her to like admit that yeah there was pain when she, she died because that's her mother but at the same part there may have been relief and that's that's mm-hmm. something to really sit with you know this that that's something to really sit with and you know i kind of think i'll i'll end it there um yeah that's mature that was a mature statement people these Facts. are the hard conversations that people don't like to have to your right. point um 
And no, that's a mat- a mature statement. Right. Yes, there's sadness, but my goodness, will there or is there relief? Will right. there be or is there relief? Yeah. Yep. You gonna tap in on this, Alvin? Are you good? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could tap in. I was just sure. You said next topic. Next topic. I mean, I, mean, I was going to talk about it, but I'll let y'all, y'all do your thing. Uh, I would say, like, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, grief, you know, obviously we, everyone deals with grief differently, as Isabella clearly mentioned. Um, but, uh, Elizabeth, I'm not even call her queen. Oh my Jesus. Elizabeth. (laughs) It was a grief process for me because I know that when she passed away, that there was a segment (laughs) of uh, white supremacy and and, and, and the unfortunate realization (laughs) that she wouldn't apologize for her monarch's actions against my ancestors that has Mm. been lost. And the, the realization of that there was grief in me because there's so much opportunity that has been lost to us, Mm -hmm. to the world, to different countries, to different individuals that continues to perpetuate what it means to be in a monarchy. And so um, I think, you know, we having these discussions again, they they are challenging, but grief is a very complicated process. Mm -hmm. And even, and I'm not going to say a name, but even in my residency program, uh, unfortunately, one of my co-residents, her father passed away uh, from lymphoma right before Mm -hmm. residency started. And mm-hmm. she relayed to me how every time she saw a patient who had their daughter in the room with their father and the father was sick, it just reminded her like that grief cycle. And mm-hmm. she would have to go to the back room and cry and come to a realization that that person's father is there. But in essence, her father would no longer be there. And it just reminded her, like, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this transition? So I, I feel like for all of us, like learning how to navigate that, it, it becomes very challenging in this life that is challenging in itself. And I feel like we shouldn't be ashamed about tackling and approaching grief, talking about it, discussing it with our loved ones, discussing even she discussed it with me, even as a stranger in many ways when we first started residency in having the confidence to say that, Although it's challenging now, tomorrow could be always a better day. That person, that essence, that at least what I believe, that individual always will be with us. And regardless, negative or positive, there are stories, there are experiences, there are thoughts that they've laid a foundation with us. And we can carry that forward in a positive momentum for the world, for our community, for our children, for our families, and et cetera. So... That's truly how I believe and feel about grief at the end of the day. Yeah. Well said. Well said, Alma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think we're, we've been talking a lot about awareness. Um, you know, just now, um, I realize it's also ADHD Awareness Month. Not only yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. is it Breast Cancer Awareness Month and... Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a in some some ways debilitating condition to live with for a number of people. Um, a lot of adults are now becoming diagnosed in their yep. later years. Like I don't know what what happened um, where adults were misdiagnosed or just 
it was overlooked years ago while they were like in elementary or kindergarten when you typically get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, But for our listeners, we love education here. So the mission of ADHD Awareness Month is to educate the public about ADHD by disseminating reliable information based on the evidence of science and peer-reviewed research. And ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder affecting 11% of school-age children. Symptoms continue into adulthood in more than three quarters of cases, and it's characterized by developmentally inappropriate levels of inattention, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. Um, Sometimes you have trouble focusing. There's definitely the DSM-5, right? Diagnostic criteria for ADHD, Mm -hmm. which includes symptoms of hyperactivity, impulsivity, and or inattention that occur in more than one setting and affect function. So you see this in like academic settings, social, Mm -hmm. emotional settings. Mm -hmm. And according to the CDC's 2019 data, 6 million children who aged 3 to 17, um, Boys, 13% and girl, great more than girls, 6%. Hmm. Um, non-Hispanic, black, non-Hispanic, white children, 12 and 10% respectively, are more often diagnosed than Asian or Hispanic children. Um, it's, it, I've heard so much ADHD or ADD flying lately i don't know if it's because of our phones um i've read different reports you know children now are being inundated with more um uh, what what do we call our phones yes stimuli Uh, thank you thank you neuro neuro uh surgeon all of that stuff I'm weak. Nah, Not she threw the she threw what the surgeon in there. Neuro, <laughs> no neuropsychologist. All right, so resident neurologist in training. Okay, thank you. Well, I was speaking into his future. Let me do what I do, y'all. Thank you. But no future stimuli was the correct word. Um, like the phones, the iPads, the Disney Pixar's. Um. You know, there's just so much coming at them mm-hmm. versus back in the day you had Mr. Rogers, whose each clip was like a specific number of clips, if that makes sense. Each, not each clip. Each show had a specific mm-hmm. number of exposures mm-hmm. where now like Disney Pixar has like triple the amount. So it's just mm-hmm. information overload. So it makes you wonder where, where exactly is this coming from? I would love to know Alvin's thoughts. <laughs> Um, you know, see how I, I did that. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I, I think, you know, when we talk about our children, and I think you made a great point in terms of the stimuli, the inundation, and then we got to be stimulated. It has to be moderate, so you don't want to be overstimulated to the point where your brain can't perceive of everything and really analyze and process everything. But then you don't want to be understimulated either, where your brain can be able to progress and evolve. And I feel like, like you mentioned, we're in a space where our children. They don't even interact outside from a physical perspective. Like in terms right. of development, development is not just about exercising your brain. It's also about exercising your physical capabilities right. as well, mm-hmm. because they work in, t- in tandem. Right. Great physical health works on your mental health and great mental health in terms of like evolving, doing, you know, puzzles and et cetera. So reading also works on your physical health as well. I mean, they counterbalance each other. And we're at a point in our society where our children don't have the capabilities to be children 
because mm-hmm. we are forcing down their throats all of this excessive information, excessive electronics. Our children yep. don't even know how to socialize anymore. Our foundations of humanity is built off of socialization. Pete, these kids are now home, like socializing with themselves, playing these video games, you know, spending <laughs> 10, 15 hours on a PS4 or PS5 with someone that's a thousand miles away that they've never seen, that they don't understand how to develop their social cues for. And intelligence comes in so many different forms. And that intelligence influences our abilities to concentrate. And with ADHD, our intellectual capacity from a social realm, emotional realm, a physical realm, you know, those all of those things are taken away. And when we talk about our children, when we talk about especially black children, they are oftentimes overdiagnosed because they are in situations where we talk about, for instance, like New York City, Baltimore, Miami. Think about how many kids, you know, how many kids are in a actual class per teacher. You have in some instances over 30 kids, Mm -hmm. you know, per class for one teacher. And oftentimes they are misdiagnosed because people think, oh, this kid, he's wilding now. He trying to fight. Mm -hmm. He's energetic and this and that. But they don't have enough intent, uh, attention Attention. to get stimulated enough to be able to be feel that normalcy. Mm -hmm. And they are already normal in itself. And then that perpetuation of that thought follows them along for the rest of their career where now you diagnose a kid with ADHD and it's like, it's a death sentence. They go Mm -hmm. to college. Oh, you got ADHD. Even going to medical school, telemed school, you got ADHD or residency, you got ADHD. They going to look at you like, oh, this person, he wilding out. You think he's going to make it? It's over. It's a death sentence. So we already established that from early on. What do you think it does for the outcomes later for these children? You know what I mean? So we have Mm. to assess and analyze these situations in our educational system and this, you know, disrupt these barriers so that all our children are intentionally in a position to learn, to feel like they have the opportunity and the intuition to feel comfortable enough to say, hey, I can do this. And oftentimes our children, especially in the black community, they don't have that. And I also think it's like important too, like with ADHD being diagnosed in black kids. Cause mm. funny enough, like when I was on my pediatric rotation outpatient, yeah. it was in a, it was in West Philly. So there's a lot of like everyone, every patient was West black. Philly, I don't think I saw one white. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I saw one white patient. Um, but we had, I had a couple of kids who came in with like similar type of presentation. Mom says like, I can't get my kid to, mm-hmm. to act right. You know, in yeah. school he's being, he's being noisy and not paying attention at home. He's doing that, all that stuff. And at the time, actually, when I saw most of my ADHD kids, like the attending, I was working with a black man, uh, Pete, like he's a, um, a pediatrician, uh, black, black male. And it was just kind of, interesting to see how he not only just like spewed out ADHD as a possible culprit, but he said, Hey, like, mm. you know, which poor the parents in the kid's life? Is it both parents? Is it just the mom? Is it the, you know, is it the dad? Cause sometimes having an absent parent can even cause these types of like acting out type of situations or, has this kid ever like been tested for learning disabilities? Like maybe he doesn't understand what's going on or like maybe he's actually a gifted kid and he knows too much and he's bored and he's acting out. Like there could be so many, you know, explanations for it. So to kind of just say ADHD is like, I think it's also a cultural thing. They want to just say it as like, this is the reason, but you haven't even considered all of the possible options in terms of like socio determinants Mm -hmm. of health, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely think that's important as well, but yeah shout out to adhd awareness month i think it's definitely something we should and i don't want to like also downplay 
the diagnosis. I think that some people actually really do suffer from it. 100%. And like not just and it's and it's organic, I think, to a certain extent too. Like some people said their whole lives they never really knew why I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't focus. 100%. And then maybe the the parent was told about it, but they said, Oh, my kid doesn't have that, and then never got worked up for. It. Now they're an adult and they still are struggling with this. So I do want to also say that it is real. Like it is an actual pathology that people struggle with in this in, all across the world so we should definitely like pay homage to this uh diagnosis and make sure that everyone is aware of like people who struggle with adhd um but yeah um i definitely think we should push it along in terms of our run the list and aldwin this is your 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 special your specialty all about Biden and the money he owes us. Um, <laughs> is he President Biden today, or he's is he back to being Biden? That oh, that's the telltale. I, I think that he's still Biden. Like I still rock. He's still invited to the barbecue, you know, and all that. But um, recently, what we found is that the FFLEP um, was removed from the student loan forgiveness program, unfortunately. And what we found about the, which stands for the, by the way, the federal family education loan program, which Mm -hmm. provided student loans to borrowers up until June 30th, 2010, they were (laughs) issued by private and state lenders. Uh, but in essence, the federal government guaranteed that if a borrower in this program defaulted, they would pay private companies an interest subsidy to make for this loss. So we know who are affected, unfortunately, many underserved and mm-hmm. black and brown communities. And in essence, this is pushing them back. And as of September 29th, 2022, bars with the federal student loans not held by the Department of Education, which the FFL EP um, is under, cannot obtain a one-time debt relief by consolidating those loans into the direct loans. Bars w- with privately held federal loans, as I mentioned, uh, who applied to consolidate their loans into direct loans before September 29, 2022, will obtain one-time debt relief. But multiple legal experts uh, have stated that the reversal in the policy was likely made out of concern that the private banks that manage these loans could file lawsuits and then stop the debt relief. And they believe that Biden's plan would cause them financial harm. So I want to ask you guys, like, do you think Biden catching like this energy, this heat was the reason for this reversal? Like, why is he banning these subsect of groups and not, you know, other groups of individuals? What's your thoughts on that? I think Biden just got too happy. I'm I'm not gonna hold you. I think <laughs> he fact. just he just got a little bit of ooh, like we can finally do this thing. And he didn't really think it through. Cause honestly speaking, a lot of the like a lot of the way that this was presented, this whole student loan forgiveness thing, it did sound a little bit too good to be true. Like I was like, there has to be a catch somewhere. So honestly, I'm not surprised that like he had to kind of retrace his steps um, and kind of go back to the drawing board in terms of is everybody eligible? And I think this LFE or sorry, FFEL um, loans, I think because it's, further back and not directly associated with the department of education that's why they feel like they can like dub it and be Mm -hmm. fine so personally i just feel like he got a little bit too excited and just started like saying oh yeah yeah, yeah." like every everyone's eligible and didn't really look at it thoroughly so i don't really think it's a matter of like heat but just that he didn't really maybe go through it 
like step by step the first time just because everyone kept on asking him you included like where mm-hmm. where's our money like when is it mm-hmm. coming right. and he probably like missed out on a few details that now he has to like be like oh well i don't think we can accommodate this certain group of people so yeah Erica. yeah i don't i don't think he planned this out well enough because previously uh president biden uh, very actively supported a 2005 Republican-led bill that stripped private student loans from bankruptcy protections. And now you have this where borrowers with privately held federal student loans, you know, like, it's almost like he, like, did you remember that? Mm-hmm. How did you think these companies would respond to you just trying to eradicate it? Right. If that means I don't I don't think he thought it out long term. Like in right. two thousand five or <laughs> whenever right. he supported this bill, right. I don't mm-hmm. think he went, just doing went whatever. In, Yeah, I don't think he went into the future of twenty twenty and said twenty twenty two rather and said, Hey, this is what's gonna happen. So just right. poor planning. Um and of course I hate that the ones that will be affected um disproportionately will likely be our people. Um, right, but you know we we thank you for all your efforts. We do. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> feeling it. We're grateful. <laughs> Better than nothing. Yeah. yeah, we're grateful. And you know, it's not it's not a run the list unless me and Alden don't get go back and forth about a black love situation gone horribly wrong. I'm telling you, uh, just let me win. Sad story. Um, but Nia Long, the vixen of almost all nineties, black movies from Brown Sugar <laughs> to the best man to uh, like, you name it. Every, like all movies you can think of. She has been there. Her. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Um, so she has just been someone admired by the black community for so long and is clearly like very physically attractive like we all know this about Nia Long and she's been in this long-term relationship with Boston Celtics head coach Ima Udoka who was suspended actually for one year due to a relationship uh what he says is consensual with a female staff staff member of the Boston Celtics so you know I just want to preface and say that I recognize that they were not married, right? They were engaged for yes. a long period of time. However, yes. it, it, I, I think Nia, it was actually Nia who said that she didn't really care for the marriage part. She just wanted the commitment. She had the ring, so she was betting on commitment through this ring that she was carrying, but there was no marriage license. I recognize, I recognize that the lack of a marriage license means open season for men so i'm not gonna say that that was probably and women um, too yeah yeah for both but i'm saying at least for in her case because the man cheated open season for him because where's the money that's going to be lost in this situation i mean like there's no prenup clearly because there's no marriage license so i i think this is a tricky situation but i do want to ask uh what you guys think about him being suspended do you think this is overkill do you think it's appropriate i know how i feel about it but it's always nice to hear from my two ho- co-hosts what you guys we, think we wait we gotta go back though to you know, <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just saying like no nah, no nah, for a real talk though 
Like, you know, my man, yo, that's your Nigerian brethren. First okay. off, so you're already dissing those, are the, those are the main Number ones two. that be cheating. They be, what? They cheat mm. like. <laughs> They, yeah. they have five wives. Oh, I'm not defending. I'm not defending. I'm not defending any Nigerian man on this podcast. I'm sorry. It would be harem, okay? They know what they signed mm-hmm. up for, if oh, that's the my case. Goodness. But regardless, wow. like you mentioned, she was a fiance. And how do we know mm-hmm. they was in their open relationship? Again, I think we're making these presumptions based off of societal standards that they had to be like directing their energy toward each other and be in a <laughs> appropriate relationship. But we don't know like what's going on in between them at the end of the day. So I think that we over assuming. And number two, when we talk about Ime Doka and what he got going on, we know, we know for a fact, right? Ime Doka is a wonderful person, wonderful coach. He led the Celtics to the finals in his first year. Let's celebrate his excellence. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. Hold on. We're going to say, wait, wait, what? We're going to say that a man's career, a man's career is the I'm, reason why he's a good man? Please, Aldwin, no, take it back. Take it back. Aldwin be knowing what he's doing, y'all. Aldwin is pushing <laughs> buttons and I am dying laughing. Y'all keep going. I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> wow. No, nah, but no, nah, no, nah, nah, but honestly, real talk though. I will say this though, and in, in terms of from what I've been hearing, Emi Doka, he moved in a way that was not appropriate for organization. From what I heard, he had consent consensual sexual relationships with the vice president's wife. Now, bro, <laughs> if you're gonna do that, like you got so hmm. many options outside of the organization, and for you to lose <laughs> your job. On the fact that you trying to get your joint off, like it's just you about to lose your job. You are one of the only black men coaches in the NBA, and you got a beautiful fiance. But again, they have kids, you know, and they have this whole situation they got going on. Shorty, like the shorty that he messed with, actually um, ordered the flights and all that for to come to Boston so that you could start moving to Boston and whatnot. So she already knew what the game was. But I think that what we got to focus on is we are over-villainizing Ime Udoka and we're not putting the focus, number one, on the two women that are involved in the situation. So we got the woman that he had consensual relations with. Wait, 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 hold Nobody on. knows who she <laughs> the, is. The, the, wait, wait, wait the, I'm, I'm confused. The, the attention should go on the two women involved in the situation. Who, yeah. who did the what? cheating, Aldwin? Was it? All who? right, number one, number one. How do we know it's cheating? And how do we know that Nia Long not <laughs> didn't do her dirt? Number two. <laughs> you number know two. what? No, number two. The shorty, we don't even know who the shorty name is that he messed with. Like, we put in everything on email, but, like, she was with it, too. She was ordering the flights to get his wife up to Boston. So, Listen. like, wh- where's the equal energy? What's it? It's double standard. Like, y'all all putting everything on my man's email. But is what he about not the head coach? Man. Is he not the head coach? It doesn't matter he- what his position is, though. She's part of the organization, too. She not, she not, she didn't lose her job for the year. She's still working. I think, but, but, but who's, but he's, who's the black, he's a black man, correct? Do we, we know how it no rolls in the society, color. right? We know how it rolls in the society. We no know man. he's not going to be favored. Like yeah. at the end of the day, his actions are going to, they're going to be scrutinized no matter what he does. So him actually doing this and thinking he was going to get out scot-free and not be the focal point. Like we all know the stories Bro, about he's... white, white woman and black man 
relationship and who ends up being the villain. It's always going to be the black man. There's like, that's not changing. That's not changing. And I don't feel sympathy for him. I'm sorry. I feel no no sympathy. I feel sympathy. (laughs) She tricked him. And I think that, again, when black men men are in situations like this, like no one really talks about their mental health. Like he about to like be in a situation where his shorty may may or may not rock with him. We don't know if they're in an open relationship. He got a family and whatnot. Who knows what led him to that decision? But she's also involved. She could have came to the man and tried to press him. You know what I'm saying? And you know, it's hard, man. When so you're on you, the road, so no, you're doing so knowing enjoy? knowing who Nia Long is, do you think that even if they Doesn't had, matter. let's say, let's say hypothetically they Doesn't had matter. an open relationship, do you think she will want her fiance to be having relationships with the a female staff member? She wants to be embarrassed like that. Even if she was cool with this, she doesn't want to be embarrassed. I already know. I already know she didn't consent to this nonsense. And the reality is, this just, man, he, he folded and he played himself. Let's, let's, let's oh, wait, leave it there. Oh, wait, I got a question, though. Because I, I, I heard that she apparently sticking beside him. You can't make it up. Thank you. You can't make it up. You can't make it up, baby. This is what I See, oh, this is why I told you that America wasn't here. Listen, it would have been it would have no been curtains way. for your opinion. No, it would have been curtains. It's not curtains. <laughs> My nose is open. I'm not. Uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not agreeing uh, with either party. That was not for Aldrin. That was not against your opinions, Isabella. Yes, it's oh, all we, good. We don't. We do not know what happened. We, all we know is what we stated. They were not married. They were engaged. That's we it. do not know. The situation. What I what I will say. These are my two cents because I'll let y'all go back and forth, back back forth and forth. So <laughs> I think I think the year long suspension is likely warranted if, in fact, he slept with a VP's wife I or agree. whatever. I think you know you gotta that's know. Fair. You know they say you don't poop where you eat. Like that's <laughs> mm-hmm. you learn that <laughs> from when you are right. young. Okay, right. so mm-hmm. I think it was warranted. But I feel like the heat that th- this is where I get upset. The heat that black men receive for their transgressions, especially in mainstream media, for example, like ESPN, I think it's crazy. There was a situation with Michael Vick back in the day when he was dog fighting, yep. right? There's so much attention centered on black men when they mess up, but yep. you have. Brett Favre out here committing uh, fraud. Millions of dollars. Stealing stealing millions for years to build a stadium. And what have we heard? And Brett Favre, you know, his name has been plastered. He's like a a Hall of Famer. So it just, it's, that's where I'll end my thoughts. I just, I hate that this is what it always comes to. Um, mm. <laughs> beyond the transgressions, whatever Beautiful. it like at the end of the day, this is what black men have to deal with, whether <laughs> they mess up or not. V, stop it, always. I was gonna say, always. Now you're pushing it. <laughs> I 
Y'all see what I gotta deal with? I totally agree with what Erica is saying. I will say, right, that no matter what, the bar for white men is it's not even it's not here. The bar yeah. is in At below all. the below the earth, right? It's crazy. This is I'm right now, I'm just vouching for Nia Long and the fact that she's just embarrassed. Like this is an embarrassment. I would never want to be in the position where something like this came out about my family. Like that's just mm. me really siding with her. If Ime wants mm-hmm. to go and continue to sleep with like every single VP of every basketball, th- that's his business. But it's the fact that you were with Nia Long. Like, don't you have some some shame? Do you know the kind of energy and the kind of time you have to probably put into to bag her? Like, I don't know. He that's that's that was an L for him. So I think I think Listen, no. you know. All right, now y'all brought me back in. What's uh, I saw a <laughs> list of all of the fine women. Find successful women that have been cheated on. Listen. Oh my God! Why? Why? What about the fine black men no, that were cheated hear on? Me, hear me, hear me. You see, Alwyn, don't do that because I be, I be over here having your back. On, well, I was gonna Listen, say she was on, just bro. having your back. Like I, I, you don't even know where I'm going with this right, right now. Right, okay, you got it. You got it. I be over here uplifting this black man, putting oh, the battery in this black man's back, and you got to come for me. <laughs> anyway. Like I was saying, there's a laundry list of women. Like, I, I feel like, listen, Beyonce, we saw it happen. We saw Solange get a Jay-Z in the elevator. We did. Off of that. So nobody is Wait, exempt. What? That's true. Solange, you know, what? Remember Solange? She, like, she slapped like, Jay or punched him, I think. She, she, yeah, Jay-Z? like around the time of the... Yeah. What, but what does that mean? That? My let me finish <laughs> what is, what is and I'll let you know what it means. Okay. Aldwin. <laughs> oh my what god. What I'm trying to say is it, beauty matters not. Success yeah. matters not. Yes, Nia Long is one of the baddest out there still. Is she 50 probably? At right. This point? Yeah, a little over 50. Yeah. It does not matter. A man is going to do what he's going to do and i'm this is not a male bashing moment like we don't know we don't know what happened we don't know if there was some written clause and then he just (laughs) messed up and messed with the wrong one we really we will never know it's not our business right yeah no secret it's just not our business yeah but my point is i think i already made my point now i'm tired (laughs) <laughs> yeah i made my point already right yes yeah yeah do then better no one's exempt no one's exempt yes, and nobody's right. exempt boom yeah. thank you for wrapping that up for me thank you so much <laughs> you know without further ado i think that was a great conversation great end i think me and erica we probably could have more back and forth but we don't leave that as I'm is because it was intense <laughs> but y'all know what it is that is our show Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Lounge. And let us know your thoughts about the discussions we had today or ask us a question for a chance to be featured on the show by emailing us at podcast at snma.org. Be sure to follow the SNMA on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on upcoming events. Thanks for listening, guys. Doom. All right. <laughs> <laughs>